Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22, where Paul was reading for us earlier. That was a great update. Uh, For those of you who have never been down there, I appreciated the slideshow because uh, some of us only really hear about it and you don't really get a chance to look at some of the the scenery that's there. Um, I've entitled this morning's message, Simon Peter. Uh, This morning we're going to be doing what I like to call a biographical study on a person. In this case, it's going to be Peter. And I want to warn you ahead of time, uh, we'll be turning a lot of pages, but I want you to turn them with me. Um, Don't be too concerned because all of them but one are in one of the four Gospels. So we'll be close, so I won't be turning all over over the Bible. Um, With that, let's go back and read our text. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you do not know me. As we look at um, Peter, I want to begin where he's introduced and then follow it all the way through. And a lot of this is going to be just setting up his temperament, his personality, how he was called, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses are or were. And so let's begin by going to um, his hometown. And I need you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Some of you will be surprised where Peter's actually from. In verse 44, we just have this one verse. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is close to Capernaum. Chorazin is also in the neighborhood. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So we find out before the Lord meets Peter that he's actually in a town that would have been uh, probably smaller than Capernaum because Capernaum is right on the northern tip of the uh, Sea of Galilee. So Peter's hometown is Bethsaida, a a town that's close to Capernaum. And we also learn here that he has a brother whose name is Andrew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter four. Let me draw your attention to verse 12. This would have been after the verses just before this is when Jesus was tempted by the devil uh, those 40 days and he was driven into the wilderness. Now we're actually seeing the very beginning of the Lord's ministry in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came to the, and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And again, every time we get to this sort of scripture, I'm gonna point out, that it's foretold, it's prophesied. So what I'm about to read is something that was foretold uh, back in Isaiah, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness saw a great light, and those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. So the first words and that we have recorded in the ministry of the Lord is the word repent. Repent, this is what's at stake. Kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 18, now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. 
this would have been the first time they would have run into the Lord. They were just doing their daily routine. And the Lord said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We'll have more detail in this in another gospel. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And in verse uh, 21 and 22, we find the next two disciples that are called. Peter and Andrew were first. But then in 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John of Zebedee, James of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father followed them. Well, what have we learned? As soon as the Lord began his ministry, he said, repent. And then he began to call the first four disciples, Peter and Andrew, and James and John. These were the first four of the 12 disciples. Uh, Turn with me to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses here. Something that uh, I didn't pick up on. Again, that's the great thing about continually going through the scriptures Um, even though I'd read it probably a hundred times before, it never really stuck with me. But here we find out um, um, that Peter and and Andrew and James and John were more than just friends. Uh, Chapter five, another description of the first calling. Verse one, uh, now so it was as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, Uh, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Let me just explain what's going on here. Um, There was multitudes that were following the Lord, because everywhere he went, He would cast out demons, he would heal the sick. People, the word got around. Um, They were bringing and trying to get as close as they possibly could to the Lord. And he's so compressed that he asked Peter if he could get into the boat just to have some (laughs) room so he could speak. So we find here in verse three, and he got into the boat which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little bit from the land and he sat down and he taught. Now he's got some breathing room. Um, The multitudes from the boat, multitudes had gathered. Now when he had stopped teaching, all right, the Bible study is over, he looks over at Peter and he says, um, Peter, uh, let's go out into the deep and uh, why don't we cast out your nets and we'll get a catch. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've been up all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish that their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners, in other words, they don't have enough room in this boat, it's starting to sink. They call for the other guys to come over to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I see guys getting out of the boat so the amount of fish in there, they won't lose them. And when Simon saw it, all right, he's a seasoned fisherman. He grew up on the Sea of Galilee. He knows what a good catch is. This is more than a good catch. This is supernatural. And he's watching the multitudes. And he sees and he hears the Bible study. And so he realizes that what has just take pl- has taken place was a miracle. And it's a strange thing when you're conscious of God's present, uh, how humbling of an experience it is because you recognize his holiness and you recognize your sinfulness. Good place for an amen. That's what's happening here. Peter became all too well aware who was in the boat with him. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his feet saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, notice, who were partners. Now for years, I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. So the first four disciples were in the fishing business together. We're partners with Simon. The other thing that intrigued me here is that Andrew's name isn't mentioned. Is he a partner? I don't know. It just says Peter's name. And Jesus said to him, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boat to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now this is important that you catch what's going on here. Uh, This is the very beginning of the autobiography of Simon Peter. And the greatest day of his success in business has just happened. And now he leaves it all. And he follows the Lord. And the Lord said, follow me. It wasn't a second thought in him doing this. But it's going to be important because three years later, we're going to have a repeat of this as we see And one of the main points that I'm going for this morning is the absolute necessity that you understand that God's working in your life is a process. It's not an overnight thing. You don't get saved and everything changes. Everything does. But you go through a process. And what I want to lay out this morning is the process, the rough edges, if you will, of this man called Simon Peter and how God had to work in him before he could really work through him. So, um, to his credit, um, I remember when Walt Field, before he went to be with the Lord, um, decided at his age uh, to go to Bible school. When he got out to Bible school, they called him Methuselah. (laughs) He was the oldest student in Bible college. But right before he left, he came into my office and he said, Dwight, I've just been offered a position that I've never dreamed I would have. And it's sort of like Peter with his experience here. The the most successful day of his life, but he says, no, I'm gonna put that off. And it says he forsook all and he followed Jesus. Uh, This is the first time that Jesus said, follow him. Please mark that in your mind. This is the first time Jesus called him to follow him. Turn to Mark chapter one, please. Mark 1, verse 29, and um, I want to take you to Capernaum. We will be there. This Peter here, we're going to find out, is now married, no longer in Bethsaida, but he has moved to Capernaum. And what I'm going to put on the screen right now, as we look at verses 29 to 31, It says, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, all right, up on screen, what you're looking at is the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 29 says, when they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. So this synagogue here, uh, I like to tell our group that we have, you've heard me say it a hundred times, A, B, and C sites, And uh, this is the one place, beyond any shadow of a doubt, where Jesus would have stood. What you're looking at, do you see the older foundation with the darker stone and the whiter stone laid upon it? I purposely chose this picture. The black stone, where you can see the synagogue, is more of a white stone. And then you see there's um, another foundation that goes down. Is everybody with me? Can you see it? All right. That is a first century synagogue. And the one that was built on top of that is not first century, but this was the spot. When we go to Capernaum and we read and we'll have a Bible study in that very synagogue, um, I'll, I'll tell the people this is about as A as it gets. Not this one, but the one underneath it is where they would have walked out of here in Mark chapter one, as they came out of the synagogue, then what they have is they entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Well, they do have a house there that says this is the house, this is where Peter lived. The odds of that being the, um, Peter's house, 
It's not an A site, it's not a B site, it's not a C site, it's not a D site, it's not an E site. <laughs> it's way down there. But they had to pick out something. And um, so actually they, they, I believe, had it line up to the scripture. Walk out of synagogue, walk into Simon Peter's house. And that's pretty much the way it is. Uh, Simon Peter's house would have been very close to the uh, Sea of Galilee. And um, they have one there that the tourists love and the Catholic Church built a church on top of it with a glass floor so that you could actually look down into it. The thing looks like a, like a spaceship that they actually built there. All right, verse 30. We find out something else about Peter. Now Simon's wife, mother, lay sick with fever and she told him about her at once And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately her fever left her and she got up and she began to serve everybody else. We find out that Peter, we don't know about the other disciples, but here we're clearly told that Peter was a married man uh, whose mother was sick that Jesus had healed. Now, we don't ever read about her again. And it only leaves our imaginations to wonder why. And so your speculation at this point is going to be just as good as my speculation. But let me quote something and have you, um, I, I can just read this one. It's in Matthew 19. If you're taking notes, you want to turn to it. In verse 27, um, Peter is talking about the cost that he had he remembers the day he left everything to follow Jesus. And in Matthew 19, 27, Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left and followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now this one. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers, and here it is, or wife or children or lands, for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, does that mean that Peter left his wife? I don't necessarily think so. I don't read about her anywhere else, but... Maybe she stayed home to take care of mom. Again, I'm only speculating right now. But my point is we don't read about her anymore. And that had to be costlier than leaving the great catch of fish to uh, leave his wife to care for his mother so he could, the Lord said, follow me. And he, we're, we're told as we go on here, uh, there are those of you sitting here that you've lost friendship with family members. Um, um, talked to one recently this weekend that there's a schism in the family because of their Christian faith. They simply do not talk to each other anymore. And some of you are experiencing that. Well, know that's exactly what the Lord says. And he says, if I've called you to do it, know that I'm not gonna forget about it. That in the kingdom to come, um, you'll receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Let's say you're here this morning and, and you've been blown off by a, a relative or a family member or a husband or a wife simply because you're a Christian and for no, no other reason. Um, the Lord says here that you may lose that one person, but I'll give you a hundredfold more. What are you saying, Dwight? I'm saying, look around. Look from this end over here to the dentist all the way to the back corner who's ever sitting way in the back, another dentist back there. We got a dentist here, we got a dentist there. So we'll cross the room with dentists. <laughs> what are you? Well, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We have one thing in common, that we love Jesus. And that makes us family. Another good place for an amen. So that's, that's what we have. Yes, counting the cost uh, can be painful, because of relationships that are broken because of it, but if, if it's for the right motive that's involved, the Lord commends that. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 16, where we'll get a little bit more 
into uh, Peter's personality. Matthew chapter um, 16, uh, picking it up in verse 21. The first part of this here is Jesus is up in Caesarea Philippi, another place we'll be visiting. And there he asks the question, well, who do people say that I am? And um, some say you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah, others think you're Jeremiah. But the Lord says, well, what about you guys? Who do you think that I am? And it was Peter. So here we have Peter speaking up again. Answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Ah, divine revelation. Peter's feeling pretty good about that, and he's going to feel better in a moment because he says, and I say unto you that you are Peter. Uh, For you girls um, that took the inductive word study Bible class yesterday, this is one of two places that we're going to put it into practice of why it's important to have word studies. And here's one of those places of knowing what the word means in the Greek. I say that you are Peter, which is a stone. And on this rock, that word there in the Greek is Petra. Now we're talking the rock of Gibraltar. We're talking um, something much larger than a stone. I will build my church. I want to point something out here. This is the very first time that the word church is used by Jesus in the Bible. But notice what's before the word church. It's my church. I am going to build my church on my rock. Now, doctrinally, this gets to be a big deal in Roman Catholicism because this is their go-to scripture that tells us that Peter was the first pope. And it tells us that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in earth, uh, in heaven. If you're taking notes, Matthew 18, he says exactly the same words to all of the disciples, not just to Peter. Now we have a problem here um, because if you visit Rome and St. Peter's Basilica, They have a great big statue of Peter holding the keys. And they get it from this scripture right here. Here's the problem. The Greek word here, Peter, does mean stone, but this rock is the word Petra, not the same one. And upon this rock, I will build my church. In Daniel 9, we see Daniel talking about a stone, not cut with hands, coming and smiting the image that Nebuchadnezzar built. He is the rock of our salvation. Consistently through scripture, the Lord is used as a type of a rock. And so what we have here, um, the Lord said here that he's gonna build his church. Uh, It's not by power, it's not by might, by my spirit, says the Lord. Peter didn't build any church. Matter of fact, we have another problem here. Why is it? that the first pope was married. <laughs> well, just let it sink in for a second. You can't be pope and be married, even though some of them actually were throughout history. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but I think it needs to be made clear that we have a, Peter receives a divine revelation. And um, he is going to be a part of the building process. Are not we called living stones that the Lord is building, his church? And so it's the Lord's church, the reference to this rock is a reference to himself, and um, the same thing that he says here applies to anybody who's born again uh, as we pray uh, for people. So we find, uh, let's go to uh, verse 21. I mean, this is the next day or the same day that this is going to happen. 
One minute divine revelation, and now in verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised up the third day. And then Peter's listening to this, and he took him aside. I wonder what it must be like taking God aside. (laughs) God, come here, I want to talk to you about something. Then Peter took him aside. This, I'm just showing you Peter's personality here. And he began to rebuke God, because <laughs> that's who Jesus is. Saying, far be it from you. Don't you realize, Lord, I just had a divine revelation. You just called me Rocky. You think I'm going to let this happen? No way. And he rebuked him. This shall not happen to you. And he turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. That's what you call a burn. And it put Peter in his place quick because the whole purpose and plan of the Father is that Jesus would go to the cross. He would die. And he would rise again on the third day. And Peter is saying, I'm not going to let it happen. And the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. From high praises, one second, to an open rebuke, in front of all the disciples, the very next. You're an, you offend me, Peter. You're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 17, and verses uh, one through six. Peter would become part of the inner three. Peter, James, and John. This is the Mount of Transfiguration, It would be Peter, James, and John who were with them in the Garden of Gethsemane at the very end. And here, in verses one through six, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them on a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now try to imagine these plain, ordinary guys who are fishermen from Galilee. And they're taking up all their life, they've only heard and read about Moses and Elijah. And all of a sudden, there they are with the Lord who's glorified in front of them. And then we find Peter being Peter. Peter answered and began to talk and said to them, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, we can make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and he's just babbling on. I don't know why the Father spoke from heaven, but he did. Could it be to shut Peter up? (laughs) Could it be that their attention was drawn to the wrong place? Obviously it was. But my point here is Peter's personality. He couldn't help himself. So we read then, while he was speaking, who? Peter. While Peter was still speaking, he's still babbling on, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's about my son, Peter. Listen up. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Peter had what I call foot-in-mouth problem or disease. And uh, I'm quoting from F.B. Meyer right now in his uh, classic, Great Men of the Bible. It's just a paragraph long. But he nails it. We must never forget that our Lord dealt with his apostles, not only in a group, but as individuals. That he studied their idiosyncrasies and administered special correction or instruction as each required. It would appear that Judas and Peter gave him most concern. The one because his nature was so secretive and subtle. The other because his impulsive temperament was constantly hurrying him into extreme positions 
from which he needed to be extracted. At one point he would say, depart from me. At the next he would uh, leave all to follow. Now he has won the high praises. Blessed art thou. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And in the very next sentences, get behind me Satan in the same breath. And so we find within a single hour he's ready to fight for his master whom he passionately loved. There was no doubt about Peter's love for the Lord. But he also denied that he ever knew him. Jesus never doubted the sincerity of his, his affection, but was sorely tried by its fitful and impulsive expeditions that Peter had. Now in Matthew chapter 14, one more, and this is sort of setting us up for the rest of the study, but we need to understand the nature of this man for the study to make sense this morning. Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 22, I've sort of dwelt on a negative side of Peter. I want to look at more of what I admire about the man Simon Peter here. So in 22, we have uh, 14, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It was the fourth watch. Okay, that would be between three in the, uh, three o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the morning, the fourth watch. Of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, here's Peter speaking up. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, then you command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the water, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. None of the other guys did this. I have a saying when I find a personality like this who's not afraid to take a step of faith or what Chuck would call a venture of faith. The term that I throw in with it, well, this guy's not afraid to get out of the boat and do something that's impossible. It has to be the Lord. To his credit, that was what Peter was like here. He said, Lord, if it is you, then you tell me to come to you. But it's got to be by your command. He wasn't doing a foolish thing. He wanted a green light from the Lord to do it, first of all. And he was walking on the water, but when he saw the wind was, was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, well, you gave it your best shot, Peter. I'm really proud of you. Isn't that what, I, what most of us would say? Good for you. At least you gave it a shot. No. The Lord corrects him. Look at the wording. Oh, you of little faith? That's not a compliment. Why'd you take your eyes off me and put them on the problem? Some of you are going through storms right now. And as long as you keep your eyes on the problem, you'll sink every time. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord, he's promised to work all things out together for your good. And so now we're either walking by faith and not by sight. If we're walking by sight, oh, now we're going down for the third time. (laughs) It's all over. If we're walking by faith, God's word said he's gonna work everything to my good. I know the circumstances look like we're going down. But if I keep my eyes upon the Lord, he'll see me through the storm. Another good place for an amen. So here, this is to Peter's credit. But what surprises me is the Lord doesn't commend him. He challenges him even farther. Can you see the process growing? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. 
What it tells us in another place here, as soon as the Lord got in the boat, where were they? They were in the middle of the sea when this event happens. But one of the Gospels tells us that when the Lord actually got into the boat, they were immediately at their destination. We have three miracles going on here. Peter walking on water, the Lord getting in the boat, the storm's over, and they're immediately at their destination. All that happened in these verses here. Uh, So I would say, to his credit, uh, that Peter was a go-for-it type guy. He wasn't afraid to get out of the boat. Matter of fact, um, he prided himself, I'm confident, on his strength and his courage. And um, that brings us, um, I needed to lay that much of a background because now let's go back to our text because it'll make more sense to us as we go back to Luke 22. And we find that the Lord comes to Peter and he says, now Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Of all the disciples, why would Satan decide to go after Peter? And the answer is because Peter was probably the greatest threat to Satan. Why? He wasn't afraid to speak out. Yeah, sometimes it was foot and mouth, but other times it was spot on. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Wasn't afraid to go for it. Wasn't afraid to walk on water. God can do anything, so I guess I can walk on water. And so... This, we're finding out right here, is actually a threat. And I want to begin to talk about the reality of spiritual warfare. And Jesus is introducing it to Peter. And he says he wants to sift you, Peter. He wants to take that courage that you have, that go-for-it attitude, and just sift you so that you're nothing. That's his desire. But I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Notice he didn't say that his courage would not fail but that his faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter's probably thinking, what do you mean return to you? I'm not going anywhere. So this is Peter now being Peter again, but Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and I'm ready to die for you. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day before you will deny three times that you even knew me and now he's telling Peter something that in back of Peter's mind I can guarantee you Lord you just don't know who you're talking to you really don't know who I am do you I mean we've only been around quoted for so long and so on and so forth but I'm these other guys I can understand okay but you're talking to me now and I would never ever do that and I honestly believe that he was sincere and meant it when he said it. So, as as a result of that temperament that he had, he was a threat to the enemy. And as a result, in verse uh, 32 here, we find two things. Here Jesus tells Peter two things. Let's read it again. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. When you have returned, well, if you return to something, what does it mean? It means that you've, it's, the implication is that you've left something. So he's telling him, you're going to leave me, Peter. So when that happens, uh, when you have returned to me, then I want you to strengthen your brethren. In other words, the experience that you just went through, use it as a learning tool to share with people that are growing up in the faith. And later we'll see this more clearly. Strengthen your brethren when you do. When you come back to me, then strengthen your brethren. The idea here that Jesus is saying is similar to the Apostle Paul. I do believe that the Lord is acknowledging that that Peter uh, was probably the spokesman for the group. And... um, Paul would say something very similar, the Apostle Paul, who would become one of the 12. When Judas um, hung himself, I believe that uh, the scriptures clearly teach that there were 12 apostles 
And Paul called himself Paul, an apostle. Amen? So he's the 12th one. So this is what Paul said as he's now raising up younger ones. How to be a Christian. The Corinthian church was really messed up. Again, if you're taking notes, I'm writing down 1 Corinthians 4 and 11 here. Paul said this. In other words, if you want to see how it's done, just watch me. That's what he's telling Peter. Strengthen your body. If you want to see how to do this, then watch me. And Paul said, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3, verse 17, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. He's saying, the Lord is saying to Peter, Peter, when you've fallen, when you're restored, then I want you to teach the brethren that they're gonna fail. They're gonna fail in this one thing they thought they would never fail in. And it's your job, Peter, to explain to them that that's part of the process of the Lord changing us from glory to glory. From a baby Christian to a mature Christian. From the milk of the word to the meat of the word. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Where in Luke chapter 22? What am I saying? (laughs) Uh, Verse 33. Yep, I got my notes wrong here. Let's see. That's because I'm in 21. 22, 33. I've, I've pretty much covered this, but you said, Lord, I'm ready to die and both to go to prison for you. My point here is, Lord, you don't know me. But in verse 34, the Lord is saying, no, Peter, you will deny me, um, even to the point that you never knew me. Now, Luke 22, verses 54 to 62. Here we have the very thing that the Lord talked about now actually happening. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. And uh, he's being taken into town from the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read in verse 54, when they had arrested him, they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. And here's Peter again, following at a distance, tagging along. And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat with them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him, uh, by the fire, looking intently at him, she's really checking him out, and said, this guy here, he was one of the disciples. But he denied and said, woman, I don't, I don't know. And a little while later, another saw him and said, you're also one of them. But Peter says, man, I'm not. Now, Luke doesn't record it. The other gospel, one of them does. The third time he's challenged, He begins to curse, and he begins to swear. Here we're told, then about an hour had passed, and another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow is with him, for he's a Galilean. Evidently, the Galileans had an accent of some sort that was detectable that tells you that where he was from. And here's the third time. Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the roaster, uh, the roaster. <laughs> Some of you, that's all you can remember this morning. Dwight said roaster instead of rooster from the pulpit. <laughs> Get one of those crow and rooster roasters. <laughs> what a moment this must have been for Peter. It had to come crashing in onto him like a, tidal wave. Everything is coming back to him. Exactly as the Lord had said. That which I would never ever do. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And when we get to this I ask what kind of look do you think it was? One of condemnation? Oh Peter how could you? You know you're supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be sticking up for me. No. It was a, it was a, it was a look of Lord I, Peter I really do know you better. I knew this was going to happen. It wasn't a look of condemnation. It was a look 
of understanding that he understands that we are but flesh. And even when we want to do the right thing, as Paul said, things I want to do, I don't do. And where he'll let you fail is in that one area you think you would ever, never do. I would never do that. And yet, it can happen. And Peter is the prime example. What was his strong suit? Courage. Courage and strength. That was Simon Peter. And where does he fall? To a little girl that's asking him if he's a disciple. Couldn't even stand up to her. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. At this point, Peter disqualifies himself. He disqualifies himself. The Lord doesn't. But he went out and he wept bitterly. I've heard people say many a time, I know that God forgives me. I just don't know if I can forgive myself because of my sin. Yeah, I've heard it that God will forgive me. But I can't forgive myself for what I've done. Well, that's what's happening here. Peter checked out. Remember the Lord says, when you return to me? You see, he had left. He left right here. And he says, I am not allowed to be in this company. I am not qualified. He had failed in his strong suit, his strength, and his courage. Peter thought he knew himself. Lord, you don't know me. I would never do that. And I believe he was sincere. Luke 24 Verse 34, we need to turn to this one's only page away. Luke 24, 34. Just one verse. This is, um, I believe this guy's returning from Emmaus. It was, yeah, verse 34. It says, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Peter. So this would have been um, on resurrection day. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Simon Peter privately because there was something that needed to be straightened out. Remember that Peter had denied him. The restoration to fellowship was a personal and private transaction between Peter and his Lord. We don't know what was said. All we know is that the Lord said he would be restored and Peter will be found later on on um, that evening. So now, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 21. After the resurrection, the Lord told them he had already appeared to them twice in the upper room. Remember the first time Thomas wasn't there? And then eight days later, Thomas was there. Now, as we get to John 21, if you look at verse 14, it tells us this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples. In the meantime, he says, now guys, I want you to go back to Galilee, uh, what you're familiar with, and I want you to wait for me there. So as we look at the first part of uh, chapter 21, the reason that they're up there, there's only seven. I can't tell you why there's only seven, but there is. And only five of them are actually named. But Peter is one, and James and John are ones that are named. And uh, they're just biding their time. They're waiting. And um, Peter gets bored. So in verse 3, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And what do the rest of the guys say? We're going too. So they went on immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now I want you to begin to remember the beginning of our Bible study this morning, okay? Lord, we've been out all night, haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, you should say so. All right, remember, three years earlier, now these are three years later. And when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, which every fisherman says to another fisherman who's fishing, catch anything? And they answered, nah, And he said, well, why don't you try casting your net on the other side of the boat? (laughs) And you'll find some. All right, I think the lights are starting to go on with the guys. And so they cast, and now there was a 
and they're unable to draw it because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this would be John, said, it's the Lord. And when Simon heard it, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 300 feet out. And as soon as they had come to the land, uh, they saw breakfast was already made, and fish laid on, and bread was being served. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now I told you that I believe Peter was a strong man. Well, all of them had problems getting the net into the boat. Here, Peter is dragging it by himself. He, Simon Peter went and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said, come and eat. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Again, uh, questions arise. Um, we know, the scriptures tell us, that he hid his identity from Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. Could he be doing it here? Is he's, does he want these guys to walk by faith or by sight? And um, again, it could have been uh, the physical beating, a lot of possibilities. But after breakfast, um, he calls in verse 15, he calls Simon. He calls Simon Peter over. Okay, now I want to uh, stop here at this point. And um, uh, gals that were at the um, inductive Bible study yesterday, I heard it was really well attended and went over really well. Here's why it's important to understand um, word studies, and uh, because if you have a good understanding of the word study in the Greek it could completely change the meaning of a story, such as the case here. For what we have is Jesus is going to ask Peter three times if he loves him. And um, when we say something like, in English, I know Don, I was talking about Don, and I said, don't you dare go to John 21 when you do your teaching. <laughs> uh, she says, but I, she used the word love. And I think one of the things that she might have said is that our language, we have one word to describe what we love. Now, I love my wife, but I also love my 66 Impala. <laughs> I also love homemade pancakes. And I also love the brethren. So those are four different types of love. Where in the Greek, they have three different words to describe love. And... The three words that they have are eros. It's named after the Greek god of sensuality, so it's a romantic type, uh, sensual love, eros. And then there's the Greek word for love, phileo, which is a friendship like you have with the brethren, um, a fondness. And, um, And then there's agape, and that is best described here as we, we're going to read it in English and then I'm going to come back and read it with the Greek words in, in place. So what is agape? Well, um, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit is singular. What is the fruit of the Spirit? One word, it's love. How is love manifested? Well, joy Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All an attribute of love, the fruit. 1 Corinthians 13, it suffers long, it's kind, does not envy, doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let's look and look at these three verses here. And again, the importance of understanding a word study. And I'll point it out as I go through it. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now the word love there is agape that love of God, more than these. 
Well, the question is, what are the these? Um, remember his greatest successful day? And uh, do you love me more than these? Maybe he's looking down at the fish catch. Do you love me more than your business, Peter? Or remember you said they might all forsake you. Maybe he's looking at the disciples. Uh, do you, you said you love me more than them. They might forsake me, but you would never. Do you really love me more than them? So the, the Greek word here is agape, more than ease. And now Peter responds, he says, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's not the same word that Jesus used. And then he says, well, feed my lambs if you love me. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me with this love from God? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I am phileo, fond of you. And so he said, now tend my sheep if that's the case. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, now he changes it around. And this is where the word study becomes important. Because remember, Peter said, Lord, you don't know me. And now the Lord's gonna show him, I do. So what does he do? Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And it says, this hit Peter between the eyes, Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? Because the Lord went from agape to, to phileo, from the love of God to a fondness. And he said to him the third time, um, Peter said, it grieved him, he said to him the third time, do you, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And he is admitting that he was wrong earlier. In other words, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. And it was that point. All right, we need to wrap this up here. Um, this is the second time as we're gonna go on. Remember I said earlier that Peter said, Lord, I'll die for you. Remember when he said that? Well, the very next thing we read here is Jesus says, yeah, you are, Peter. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, they will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you not want to go. Where? Peter was martyred. And the Lord is telling him straight out, Peter, you said at one time you'd die for me. Well, guess what? You're going to. And that's exactly what happened. Before Peter could come to this place, he had to be broken. This is important for us to understand. Fail in our strong suits, in Peter's case, courage. Uh, do something we would never thought we would ever do. Now he's saying, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. At one time, Peter said he would die for Jesus. Now, the last part of our study Remember, he says, now, Peter, when you've come through all this, when you come back to me, remember what the Lord said? Strengthen your brother. Did he? Our last verse is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Now he's writing his own epistles, First and Second Peter. Now, we read that he's teaching them about spiritual warfare. And he's telling these young disciples, look out guys, I want you to know there's a real battle going on. It happened to me. So in verse eight, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. How do you know that? Well, he went through it personally himself. The personal things that you go through. Um, I think Paul said it this morning. Um, being transparent and honest when one of the guys said, did you have an argument with your wife before you came to church this morning? Well, don't be afraid to admit your failures. Um, people put people on pedestals, and yet they shouldn't be because every man will fail. Every woman will fail. Good place for an amen. amen. All right, so uh, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brethren in the world. This to me was not a coincidence as I was reading my wisdom for today and it will be the last thing I read, but it fits in with the Bible study. And so, um, August 17th, natural fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Chuck says, people like to produce fruit apart from the vine. They think they might squeeze out a fruit or two by living good lives or becoming better people. But the fact is, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It's only as you abide in him that the Holy Spirit brings to form fruit in us naturally. What fruit does the Spirit produce? Well, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is agape, love, deep, fervent love. Love that suffers long and is kind. Love that's not envy, doesn't exalt itself, doesn't behave unseemly. Um, love does not um, seek its own. This is an amazing love. It's a love that is not easily provoked. Love that doesn't think evil of others. Love that bears all things, believes all things, and it never fails. It is impossible for you to produce or mimic or conjure up the love of the Holy Spirit. If God's Spirit dwells in you, then the natural result will be the fruit of agape, love. We're impatient for the fruit. We'd like to plant an apple tree today and eat the apples tomorrow. But fruit does not grow overnight. Do not be impatient with God and with the Holy Spirit as he develops fruit in your life. It will develop in its own time. And what a beautiful day that will be when you bring forth fruit. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the gospel of Luke. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit just be planted in as we have this object lesson by one of the disciples, Simon Peter. Help us apply it practically in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's exactly what happened. Before Peter could come to this place, he had to be broken. This is important for us to understand. Fail in our strong suits, in Peter's case, courage. Uh, Do something we would never thought we would ever do. Now he's saying, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. At one time, Peter said he would die for Jesus. Now, the last part of our study, remember he says, now Peter, when you've come through all this, when you come back to me, remember what the Lord said? Strengthen your brother. Did he? Our last verse is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Now he's writing his own epistles, First and Second Peter. Now we read that he's teaching them about spiritual warfare. And he's telling these young disciples, look out guys, I want you to know there's a real battle going on. It happened to me. So in verse he says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour how do you know that well he went through it personally himself the personal things that you go through um, I think Paul said it this morning um, being transparent and honest when one of the guys said did you have an argument with your wife before you came to church this morning well don't be afraid to admit your failures um People put people on pedestals, and yet they shouldn't be because every man will fail. Every woman will fail. Good place for an amen. Amen. All right, so uh, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brethren in the world. This to me was not a coincidence as I was reading my wisdom for today, and it will be the last thing I read, but it fits in with the Bible study. And so, um, August 17th, natural fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Chuck says, people like to produce fruit apart from the vine. They think they might squeeze out a fruit or two by living good lives or becoming better people. But the fact is, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It's only as you abide in him that the Holy Spirit brings to form fruit in us naturally. What fruit does the Spirit produce? Well, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is agape, love, deep, fervent love. Love that suffers long and is kind. 
Love does not envy, doesn't exalt itself, doesn't behave unseemly. Um, Love does not um, seek its own. This is an amazing love. It's a love that is not easily provoked. Love that doesn't think evil of others. Love that bears all things, believes all things, and it never fails. It is impossible for you to produce or mimic or conjure up the love of the Holy Spirit. If God's spirit dwells in you, then the natural result will be the fruit of agape, love. We're impatient for the fruit. We'd like to plant an apple tree today and eat the apples tomorrow. But fruit does not grow overnight. Do not be impatient with God and with the Holy Spirit as he develops fruit in your life. It will develop in its own time. And what a beautiful day that will be when you bring forth fruit. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the gospel of Luke. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit just be planted in as we have this object lesson by one of the disciples, Simon Peter. Help us apply it practically. In Jesus' name, amen.